when Atari and Nintendo and all those gaming systems originally came out, I do wonder if those creators had the vision and the foresight to know that there would be people who would be doing work on their systems. And I don't mean work as far as repairing. I mean work in the fact that the game developers did so well and made such intriguing products that there are individuals that went from playing the games from those arcades and the stores and putting coins in the machines to becoming professionals. Professionals to the fact that they're professional esports athletes. And so today, a fantastic conversation for all you dreamers who have an idea that you can be and do anything that makes you happy. This conversation with Jonathan Jordan, a professional esport athlete, will give you insight about the journey that he had to become an esport athlete and give you insights about the world that is now esports. Everything is possible, people. Let's go. And today on Voices, this one is is a dream in a sense for me because of sort of things in life, growing up playing video games. Now to know that playing video games can pay for your life is an amazing concept that was beyond my imagination. And today joining me is Jonathan Jordan. He is a professional gamer and he's going to give us some insights about the industry and esports. So no person can introduce themselves like themselves. So Jonathan, welcome, welcome here today. And uh, go ahead and give us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so hey guys, I'm Jonathan Jordan M7 Jordan. So my the game I go by or the name I go by in game is actually Jordan DM7, but you know, most of my teammates and things call me Jordan. So I play professional Valorant for a team called Orbit. Uh, it's a tier two professional organization and we are working our way to the top and doing everything that we can to really get our names out there and promote ourselves, promote the organization, and win all the tournaments that we can. You know, that's awesome. And so the thing about it is, is that I think about this and I say, well, professional gaming, right? And I'm like, you can make money playing video games. Like I can understand making money making video games, but playing them. And so in my mind was blown because I'm like, where does the money come from? And so my first question is, is how did you learn about being a professional gamer? So it's, it's crazy to me because I actually, probably in about 2012, when I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, um, I learned about esports through a streaming service called Twitch. It was right when they switched over from Justin TV to Twitch TV, and it became a streaming platform where anybody could stream video games themselves playing, themselves talking, whatever they wanted to do. And I, my first kind of dip into the professional scene was watching professional Call of Duty. And that was kind of when esports started to blow up was 2012 with games like StarCraft, League of Legends, Call of Duty. And people started to realize, it's like, oh, it's not just a game anymore. You can actually play this and make a life out of it. And since then, it's just grown. Teams have become real huge companies. And they have Series A and Series B investors that are investing 50, 75, 100 million dollars, like, 
Drake and Scooter Braun were Series A investors for 100 Thieves, and I think they invested something like $70 million into the company. And it's just like any other corporation where your investors buy in and they see a kickback from it eventually. And it's really cool to see the inner workings of all these things and how it's been able to grow over time from just five guys that play video games on a team together back in 2010, 2011, and 12 to this team that people are living in team houses together. They have a manager that handles all their sponsorship deals, all their team scheduling, their practice scheduling. They have multiple coaches. They have analysts that go over film with them and teach them the individual things that they're doing wrong. They have esports psychologists that help them deal with the pressure and the high pressure scenarios of playing on a stage in front of 20,000 people. And it's really cool to just see how all of this has really turned into a whole entertainment business in itself. You know what's amazing is you, you made a reference to it. And so I have two questions before I, I, I have you answer. The first one is, what's your preference in, in the sort of the nomenclature and the naming of uh, what you do? Is it gaming or is it esports? And then second part, and we're going to talk about this in more depth later, in relation to like physical sports, how did you know you were ready to go pro? Like, how did you know, like, oh, you know what? I'm ready. I'm going to, you know, enter in the draft, you know, and, and, and go from there. So how, um, all, your preference is esports or gaming, and how did you know you were ready to go pro? So I'd say what I do is definitely esports. There's a huge psychological side to it. It takes a lot of practice, 40 to 100 hours a week. doesn't feel like practice because it's the dream, honestly. It's so great being able to just wake up, get on my computer, play video games, and work on getting better and just talk to my friends, still be able to hang out with friends and play with them or whatever. And I think there's definitely a healthy mix between esports and gaming. A lot of people love gaming, and they spend a bunch of time playing games like Skyrim and things like that, and they just really enjoy it to kick back and relax after a long day of work. And then there's some people that love the ranking system kind of games where there's competitiveness, and you're always striving to get better and be at the top. And it actually, it like, it causes you the stress level when you're playing the game and you're really just pushing to get better and better. And it's all about focusing on what you can do to get better. Um, but in terms of when I knew I was ready to go pro, I had, I actually had no clue. So the game that I play is Valorant and it's, a, it's only been out since March, I believe. So they actually released an open beta where people could play from getting keys that they would get watching streamers on Twitch and they could get a drop in their inbox that would say, hey, you got a key to play our game. Now you can download the game and access the servers. So I actually didn't get my key for about a week. And so I was super worried. I was playing collegiate esports at the time. So uh, basically like Division One esports, the same as a sport would be. So I was playing Counter-Strike for the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And I was loving every minute of it. I When I transferred to UNC Charlotte, I talked to – the head of the club for esports and was like, Hey, I think I'm pretty good at this game. Uh, you guys have a team for it. I want to try out to be on it. I tried out, made the starting roster and I still wasn't anywhere as near, near as good as the pros in that game, but I thought it was fun and we were doing pretty well in the collegiate scene. So I was like, there's a game kind of like counter-strike coming out Valorant and it's owned by a company that already runs one of the biggest esports in the world league of legends. So I know it's going to be a successful esport, and I know they're going to do well just based off of, how they manage to run their business now. So let's take the step into this and see how I do. So I started playing and I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at this game. And then the guys that are getting like anywhere from 10 to 40,000 viewers on Twitch every day that are just known for being really good at shooting games, 
were playing this game too. And I would get in their lobbies like completely by accident and I'd play them. And then I'd go back after I played them and I would do the best on my team and I'd destroy them, whatever. I'd go back and watch and just listen to how upset they would get when I'd kill them. They thought I was watching their stream, trying to just get an advantage and go to where they were and kill them and catch them off guard. Cause I could see where they were, but that wasn't the case at all. I was just playing the game and playing it my way. And I was like, Oh, well, these guys are really good. And the friends they're bringing in, I know they're very good. So maybe I actually have a chance to take a step in it. And one of my buddies sent me a team tryout for a startup team called Team Reveros. So I was like, all right, I'll show up to this tryout. I showed up that day. We had um, an interesting tryout layout. So it was 15 people at the tryouts, three teams of five people, and it was completely randomized based on what you played, what your role was. So my role was kind of a support player. So I still got to kill people, but I've also got to make sure that I take care of my teammates and make sure that they're not dying. So I can put down a smoke to block vision from the enemy. And the first game we got completely blown out by the other team. So I was scared. I was worried that I was going to, you know, not make it, whatever. Second game, me and one other person completely carried our team. We did really well. And after all of the tryouts went through, we got into, uh, we got into the server with the guys that were already on the roster, trying people out. And we knew there were only three spots open and they said, Hey, we're going to make uh, two teams for this organization. Uh, and they actually offered for me to be on the second team. But then uh, through mishap, one of my friends was actually on the team that was supposed to sign with orbit. So I ended up getting his spot through the team because he didn't want to sign. He was scared to sign, whatever. So it was fine, but we continued on with it and I signed with them instead and we just started absolutely grinding it out and just growing into what we are now and just making sure that we're all growing at a great individual rate and as teammates together. That's the, the greatest thing about it is that we're all kind of in the boat together and we're working on what we can. So you said he was, a, uh, he, well, he was apprehensive. I don't want to call him afraid, but he was apprehensive about signing. So is it, is it like that serious? Because obviously uh, in professional sports, uh, professional physical sports, you, there's obviously advisors that say, hey, maybe you shouldn't sign that contract, et cetera, et cetera. What could possibly have been the thing that kind of got him to say, well, you know, maybe I don't want to do that? Because that's curious to me. So it was the beginning stages of the game. I think it was right around May is when we did this, April or May. So it was everybody was kind of apprehensive about everything in the game because they weren't sure if we were going to get a good professional scene for the game and if tournaments were going to be backed by the company and how it was all going to work out. So people were scared to sign contracts and get tied down at the beginning for more than a month at a time because they weren't sure if it was going to basically take away their free agency because it works essentially the same way it does in uh, professional contact sports where when you sign your contract, you cannot be poached, talked to, or anything by any other organizations without them talking to your management about your buyout for your contract or a trade deal or things like that. It works the same exact way. So it immediately restricts your free agency and you have no option to go seek other teams and things like that. So you might say, oh, this team's good, but what if I could do better? Ah, I get you. So what, what are like, I, while I, um, I'm not sure how much you would know about it, but like, what are the, the general lengths of contracts? Cause I'm not going to ask about money. That's personal, but like, what are the lengths? Are they normally like really long-term? So 
um, a lot of people at the beginning of the game, uh, even the companies that are in esports were scared to sign people because it was a leap of faith for them because a lot of the way they make their money is exposure that gets them sponsors and tournament winnings because they can take a percentage of your tournament winnings just as for them paying your salary. It's a way for them to make their money back. Um, so it was hard at first for them to make that decision. And then it was like a three month, you can do three months, you can do a year, you can do five years. And generally what it is, is uh, you sign for about a year at first and, or three months or a year, if you're not, you know, proven in the scene, sorry, there's a doorbell in the background, but um, so companies like there's a team in counter-strike called astralis i think their initial contracts since they were all proven professional players was about two years when they all came together but they re-signed i think a five-year deal and their five-year deal is thirty thousand dollars per player per month Wow! so these <laughs> things are absolutely insane they can go anywhere from about a month to five six years i think the longest one i've seen is six years you know the thing that's interesting and i mean obviously there's there's all kinds of commerce out there, especially in the e-world. Uh, I, I looked on, I was just doing some Google research and stuff, and I saw on GameSpot.com that the most lucrative games to play, the top four together sort of uh, the prize money is like $75 million. And I, I'm just like, wow. And then I saw that the top gamer makes $17 million a year. And I'm just like, dude, like the, the you, you you wonder where the money comes from, but clearly there's viewers. And if you have people with thousands of viewers, you can put ads in that and that creates revenue. So I get that, but I'm just like, wow. And I didn't know that. So was that something you were aware of when you uh, got into the um, sort of esports? Yeah. So I, I knew that uh, there were some people making some crazy money. There's actually a game called um, Dota 2 and the way that they do their they have basically like a super bowl or a world cup kind of thing that they do every year it's called the invitational and it is i think it starts out at a million dollar prize pool and they actually sell like in-game character skins that make your character look different and a portion of those sales go to the prize pool for that event so some i think last year or the year before the prize pool for the event was 12 million dollars so you win that one event which you know you get first you get second but getting first i think was like a it's seven or eight million dollars between you know the five players and the coach and whatever your organization takes out of it so you were walking home or walking away with a million dollars just for yourself from one tournament in a year so there's a lot of pressure for you to really be ready for things like that and it showed me that i mean a million dollars is a ridiculous you can live your life off of a million dollars if you do it right yes you can <laughs> <laughs> so a, a quick thing is uh so like what what was the like I, I i hear what you're doing and every i i don't know if it's a boy thing but a lot of boys and some women uh play play video games but what was your motivation to be like let me let me game and then shift let me do esports like what was what was there one thing that was the motivation to like got you into it so I would honestly say it's probably – I've always kind of had a competitive drive. I, I played a little bit of soccer in high school, whatever, um, and continued on to college. Didn't play any sports in college. But when I transferred to UNC Charlotte, I saw that they had an esports team, and I was like, well, let me get some of this competitive drive out. Like, I've got a very aggressive drive to win, 
and do things and practice and get better at things. Cause I just, anything I do, I, I want to get better at, and I don't want to just be stagnant. My mind's always telling me like, Hey, you need to focus on getting better at something in your life constantly. So I went ahead and said, Hey, let me try out for this. I tried out and I made it. And we, you know, we won some things. We did really well in some placings for our division and things like that. I think we, at one point were the number one team in the Southeast. And then um, we went to our first actual LAN event. So where we would play all 10 players that are playing against each other in the server, are all in the same room, you're playing on a local server so that you all have the same uh, like server latency. So any shots, anything like that, you all have the same exact chance to hit it. There's no excuses. Everything is as quick as it possibly can be. So we went to that and we beat out uh, two or three other uh, really good uh, collegiate teams in the Southeast that had dr driven like four to 12 hours to get there. And we actually ended up winning it. And that was the only land event that I had ever gone to. I won that. And man, I felt like I was on the top of the world. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I bet. And I, uh, I told my brother when I got home, I was like, man, I like, I just, I absolutely love it. And he was like, you know, you show these glimpses of being able to do what the top players do in this game. He was like, maybe you should think about trying to focus on that and see what you can do. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really know. I got to, you know, keep a job, work in college and make sure that I can sustain myself. And my brother said, listen, if you can get to a certain level in the game, which was clearly defined in the game, but it won't make a lot of sense if I explain it. So he said, if you can do this, then I will pay for your groceries. I'll pay for your everyday expenses. You can't beat a support system like that. No, man. you That's absolutely awesome. can. My family is the best. They really are. They've always taken care of me like that. And so I ended up not making it to that level in that game and basically skipping past that level to professional in Valorant. And my brother was like, okay, you can, <laughs> he said, I'm buying a house. You can live with me for free. You don't have to pay any bills. He was like, I'll buy your groceries. I'll buy your food, whatever you need. Like I got you. He was like, I'm not going to go out and like buy you a car, but I'll buy you all your everyday expenses and stuff. And you can live with me and you're in a perfect spot in your life right now for you to try to chase this dream. So I want you to chase it as far as you can. I love hearing that, man. That's just one of the most beautiful things that you can hear is this a support system because that makes you more confidence, well, confident when you have foundation. Uh, I have a question before I get into the traveling because I was going to ask you about traveling and commitments. But uh, what I just I'm curious, what equipment is necessary to sort of get yourself if you're just starting, you're like, hey, I want a game. What do you need? I mean, because obviously there's consoles, there's phones, there's computers. But what equipment, chairs, systems, what do you need to maybe start to be consider being a gamer or Man. an esport uh, athlete? When I first started playing, I started on a computer, went to console, came back to computers. So when I was on computer at first, I was like sitting in a stool with a crappy old computer that my dad gave me from his office because he's a computer technician for a living. And I had one monitor and I just did what I could and played mostly like uh, online games where you just level up and you like kill bosses and stuff. And then when I went to console, I started playing Call of Duty and I would just sit in the floor on a big flat screen TV and play Call of Duty. And I loved it and I was really good at it. And I always was like, man, I could go pro in Call of Duty, but I never knew there was never really a good avenue for that game. So I never really tried. Um, and then I got back on computer. I started playing uh, games like Counter-Strike, which I was absolutely horrendous at at first. All my friends were better than me. And I thought I'm never gonna go anywhere in shooting games on the computer. My reactions are too slow, whatever. And then over time I put about, I'd say 
almost 2000 hours into Counter-Strike and I was like, okay, well, you know, I've got this uh, movement now and all these things that I can do where I can make this work. And over time, I just kept adding better and better parts to my computer. So it'd be a birthday and I'd ask my mom for a new graphics card. I'd ask my dad for a new processor. And then they would come together, they'd give me this, and I would upgrade my computer as much as I could when I needed to, or as much as I needed to. So it, it was honestly an accumulation over time of just getting these parts from different places so that I could finally play and not have to worry about any kind of lag or frame drops or anything like that. You know, that's cool because, I mean, obviously you go into places like, uh, well, if you if you can still go into places, you know, <laughs> but it, when you go into places like your Best Buys or your electronic stores, you see gamer chairs and all that. And I've always wondered, like, hey, does that work? Or they have like special uh, like uh, mice for your computer? Oh, yes, for it? absolutely. And so I've always wondered, like, hey, do those things really, really benefit? And I, I guess so. I mean, obviously, Hell, it's an yeah. industry. <laughs> and so that matters. So I, I, you kind of made a mention of it, and it'll tie in with the traveling. So uh, what kind of traveling have you heard of? Or obviously, you've been on because you kind of alluded to it a little bit. And what kind of commitment is necessary when you travel? But the most important part, because you're traveling to do for competition, what's the trash talk like? Because if this is sports, then there's definitely trash talk there. Oh, first question, can I curse? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man, you're free. Talk. I figured, but I wasn't sure. So, um, and one little side note, I will say I got my first gaming chair. My mom actually got it for me last Christmas, and it is fantastic. I, I would say me sitting in a chair for 10 hours a day. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but so we haven't actually gotten to travel because we signed our contracts when COVID started. So phase one of COVID was a very prevalent thing. So we actually haven't gotten to travel, but um, with, as, in terms of travel, pretty much everything gets paid for by your organization. So you, your plane ticket will be paid for your hotel, any of your food while you're there and any expenses that you might incur while you're there. So all of those things get taken care of by your company. And that makes that really, you know, that part is very stress-free. Um, usually you have management with you at some point of the way and they'll just whip out the business card and take care of it. So um, that's really nice. And I will say when you are in a room with these people, you're already talking trash in the chat um, in game anyways, when you're playing online in scrims and practice in tournaments. So when you get in a room with these people, you just, you feel it all out. Like you get up, you turn around, you yell, sit the fuck down. When you make a big <laughs> play, you're just screaming at people. You absolutely do not care. And people are like, well, I mean, I can't say anything back to him. He just destroyed me. I guess I just got to get him next. Like it's the yeah. best part is, it's, I mean, that's some of the best part of it because when you go somewhere to play people and you, there's no excuses, nothing about your internet being slow, you having the wrong equipment, blah, blah, blah then you know you're just better than that person when you win against them. So you can absolutely trash talk them into the ground, and it's just fantastic. You know, I, I love that because now I, I don't know if you do this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I play the most of the games I play if I play video games or sports games. Uh, my friends and I have joked with each other. If you play uh, role-playing games, RPGs, then you have to kind of dedicate your life to that. And I know I, before controllers cost like a hundred dollars a controller, <laughs> I would break. I'm, I'm not lying. I know I broke at least uh, a couple of a PlayStation two 
maybe PlayStation 3 controllers where it's just slamming them on the ground because the game cheated me or whatever. And, and so I get, I get the emotion in that. And so what are some of the highs of, of gaming? Like, I, I feel like, like, man, I just couldn't even imagine it because you feel it when, when you talk trash. So what are some of those highs and what, what, how, how do you handle those? Man, we, in our last tournament we played in, we played third out of 64 teams. So we, there was a group stage that weeded out half the teams and then you got sent to bracket play. So the group stage games are generally very easy. You just, you play against some teams. It's a breeze. You don't have to worry about getting knocked out. There's not a lot of pressure. And then you, if you're in your top two in your group, you make it out. And usually two teams are bad and two teams are decent or one team's really good, one team's okay. So it's pretty clear who's going to make it out of the group. So we got out of the group. And then our first three games after that were a breeze. So we were in, I guess, top eight at that point. Our top eight game was against the number one seed for the tournament. They were the favorites to win. We barely the, – the score goes first person to 13 wins. If you go to 12-12, you go into overtime. And then it's whoever wins by two. So we made it to – they were up on us 11-8, I believe. And we ended up bringing it back and beating them 13-11. And I'm noted to be the team hype man. So every time we were making these crazy plays that were just like, you should not be able to pull these things off. Like just the way the game works. If you do this, you should die for it basically. And <laughs> we were doing crazy stuff and making all these crazy plays. And we're just screaming, adrenaline pumping, handshake, and everything's going crazy. We edge that game out. And then when we go into our next game, it's like the number two seed. They're almost guaranteed in the tournament too. We go in with them, and we beat them 13-10. And it was another really close game that got all the adrenaline pumping. And after that game, we had to sit for about 10, 20 minutes, and everybody was dead tired after that. All the adrenaline was out of our systems. We walked into the semifinals, and we got waxed. We got absolutely destroyed. What? And we were like, well, maybe it was just this. It was just that. And then we said, you know what it actually was? We've all been playing this game for 11 hours today. Our mental is – out the window after we've had all this adrenaline pumped through our bodies we're all tired and we just couldn't you know refresh ourselves to go into the semifinals and win and go to the finals and take it home because the team that we lost to actually ended up taking it home and then we played them in scrims later that weekend we were able to beat them so it was like we let the pressure get to us so much in the earlier stages of the tournament that we weren't able to close it out in the end because we'd used up all the juice by the end so it definitely takes a lot of mental control for you to make sure that you don't over torch yourself earlier in the tournament which is the nice thing about having multiple day tournaments rather than a 13 hour sitting in your chair just trying to hype yourself up on a red bull and coffee and make sure that you can get through everything and you know you you, you made it a a, a a comparison that i think of in with physical sports with two points right and you talked about the energy you, you use and talked about like, you know, basically because you hadn't done it before you learned and you use a lot of energy. So there has to be sort of a, a physical toll on you, not negative, but yeah. a physical toll. And so with that physical toll, what do people do to sort of fix themselves? So imagine you're on a, a tournament that's two, three days and you like were gassed after the first day and you have to be ready the next day. Like, what do people do? Do they drink coffee? I mean, uh, are there, uh, dare I say, are there PEDs or anything like that that help people? Because I feel like that's something 
that if it's that competitive, that lucrative, that people are going to, and I don't want to use the word cheat, but maybe enhance themselves if they yeah, can. Yeah, so uh, the way normal people do it, people that don't do PEDs and stuff, because that is a very prevalent thing, is um, most people will say, hey, we need to go to bed early tonight. We need to wake up tomorrow, get a good eight, 10 hours of sleep, eat a good breakfast, go outside for a little bit, get some sun, maybe go on a walk, you know, just kind of wake your body up and make sure that your brain is awake for what we got to do today. Because we know we're here to win like that's that's the whole goal obviously everybody wants to be able to win and make money and do all these things so everybody gets ready with a different way some people have pregame rituals and things like that my pregame ritual is listening to music and just warming up my aim and uh just going around throwing my mouse around my uh mouse pad and making sure that i'm ready for what's to come and that i'm at the top of my game for when it does come through um, but yeah, PEDs are definitely a big thing. And even, even actually cheating. So people have aim locking software that's in their mice, in their computer, in their keyboard, things like that, which has been since COVID has gotten so much worse in pretty much every online shooter game, because there's so many people that are stuck at home. So many kids that are in high school and they, they go, you know what? I suck at this game, but you know, what would make me good if I just used cheats. So that is one aspect of it, but the bigger aspect of it is in professional, like the professional setting, when you're at a tournament and there's admin standing behind you or referees standing behind you, they can see what you're doing, so they can tell if you're cheating or not. So you can't really do that on that uh, stage, but you can still, people still love to take Adderall and Vyvanse and do cocaine and do all these things so that their reflexes are faster and they're more dialed in and ready to do these things. And it actually has gotten to the point where when you fly somewhere to play in a tournament, you are subject to random drug testing from the referees, the tournament officials, and even your own organization. And your own Ooh. organization can say, hey, you know what? You did this, you breached your contract, we're going to have to let you go. And it Ooh. tarnishes your name and all these things can really ruin your reputation. And it was known, like, it started in Call of Duty, really, with Adderall and Vivans, where people were just, they were doing it before games, and they were playing 10 times better than they normally did, or they were hitting shots they didn't normally hit, and people started to notice it, and drug testing came through, and a couple players got busted for it, and so when we start flying places again after COVID's over, people are going to have to nick the uh, cocaine and Adderall and Vivans out of their systems and start being able to play at that level without it again because right now when you're at home and you don't you're not subject to any drug testing a lot of these people are just walking into tournaments they say you know what i'm gonna wake up at 8 a.m take my adderall have a cup of coffee and we're just gonna destroy this tournament dude wow like literally that drug testing just man that's on another level that i was unprepared to hear about and so, so that's that's a, a huge similarity to like physical sports. Absolutely. What kind of other similarities are there between like uh, esports and physical sports? So, uh, like I talked about earlier, with the uh, the structure of organizations and how you're bound to a company or you're a franchise player, things like that, it works essentially the exact same way. Your contracts are written to where like you can't defame the company for X amount of time after you leave the company. You can't say bad things. You can't. Um, have drug use if you're tested and they find a drug that they don't like. Like some teams will say, hey, yeah, sure, you can smoke. It's legal where you live. That's fine. But they'll say, but if we find out that you have, you know, opium or things like that in your system, then you're, you're subject to be kicked off the team and your contract be ended. Um, 
So you always have those things where you can either be suspended for a couple of games, stuff like that, just like in professional sports when they find out you're using steroids or other performance-enhancing drugs. And it, it's crazy because you also have that same aspect of nerves where you're playing on a stage in the Staples Center in front of 60,000 people or whatever, Man. and you have to stay focused with your headset on and make sure that – they give you the right noise canceling headset so you can't hear anything that's going on outside. So somebody could yell, yeah, he's right behind you. Turn around. So you have to always be ready for the crowd to freak out whenever you make a big play or things like that and be able to stay focused on what's going on in front of you. And a lot of people get nervous when they walk up on that stage, just like when people were trying to present in class, it's the same thing where people have to work through these emotions. So it's, it's crazy to see how much those esports psychologists and stuff can help with things like that and really fix players mental and make sure that they're staying in a good mental health state and things like that so that they don't overwhelm themselves with these feelings of anxiety man that's a whole nother world dude like you've taken it to a level where uh that, that people probably are not prepared like how do people physically take care of themselves because obviously if you're sitting in a chair for several hours like what kind of physical things do people do to kind of say to keep their bodies kind of limber loose and just to be physically healthy. Yeah, it's actually crazy. A lot of players um, go get very overweight and things like that, and their play deteriorates from it because it slows the blood flow through your body and it causes your brain not to get enough oxygen, things like that. So uh, a lot of teams have actually hired personal trainers when they're living in team houses, and they make their players get up for a couple hours a day to work out. They'll have a chef make them food and make sure that they're staying in better health so that they can play better. And you can see the difference in a lot of these players when they go from being 50, 100 pounds overweight to being in shape and how much better their play gets just from how much their physical health has changed. It's amazing to see the correlation between those two things. And living a sedentary lifestyle is absolutely terrible for you, of course. So even if you, you're not in a situation where you're in a team house, it's good to make sure that you can get up and go outside and go for walks even when the gyms are closed. Go to the gym, make sure you keep yourself in a, in a good physical shape so that you can be on top of your game too. It's, it's crazy because uh, do you think there'll be, if, I, if I, I may be ignorant about it, but uh, will there be, do you think there'll be an Olympics or kind of a World Cup of esports? I feel like that's on the horizon just based on how the world is going. I was, I was actually thinking about this the other day because um, the uh, Call of Duty went to the X Games, actually. And there was an event where when the Call of Duty players uh, placed top three, they got silver, gold, bronze medals based on what they placed. And there were prize pools for it and, you know, sponsored by Red Bull and all these things. And it was really cool to see that all these professional athletes interact with the esports athletes and be really cool with them and say, hey, like, well, you know, welcome to the X Games. We're so glad to have you and see how this is growing. And it seemed like they were the most accepting people of letting in a new set of sports that weren't physical when the general public talks about it they're like well it's not a sport it's you know you're not making contact with other people you know so you're not really taking the same toll on your body that other people are but i mean you see professionals that have to wear wrist braces because they're getting arthritis arthritis in their hands and they're starting to have wrist problems and different joint problems uh from repetitive movements and it really does start to take a toll on your body if you don't take care of yourself but I think that the Olympics and things like that are definitely in the future. Maybe the next five, 10 Olympics, we'll start seeing these kind of things because, I mean, the first tournament I played in in this was sponsored by ESPN. 
which is crazy to think that ESPN wow. is even dipping into this world too, and they're accepting it completely too. Well, that's Disney. So uh, a few more questions, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, one of my questions, because you kind of alluded to it, but just sort of a more direct question. So how, how do people sort of manage a, a, a work-life balance? Because if you're a professional gamer, you're a professional esport athlete, uh, you probably want a girlfriend or friends or, or just a life to have balance. So how do people do that? I will say that it, I personally try to make sure that we practice Monday through Friday, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 or one in the morning as a team. And then you obviously you need to put in time alone, just like um, any professional sports players do where they need to make sure that they keep their physical health in check. Yeah, you have to you have to make sure that you get the individual and team practice. So, you know, you're putting in 40, 50 hours a week with the team. And then uh, Saturdays are usually days off and Sundays are designated for tournaments. So uh, tournaments are all day. It's usually you wake up at 10 in the morning. You're not done till 10, 11 at night, depending on how far you go. But um you have to make sure that on your days off and during the day, you're going out of your way to make sure that you can talk to your friends, talk to your family. If you have a significant other, spend time with them and things like that. And if you don't, that will start to take a toll on your mental health as well. We actually, we've had players that we've seen in the scene go crazy basically because they're like, I can't spend time with my friends. I can't spend time with my family because they're so focused on the game that it's kind of consumed their life and they don't realize like, Hey, even though it's my work and it's my job, I still need to be able to take a step back and spend time with my family and take care of myself. And that's something my team's really good about. You know, we take a day off. People are like, make sure you go spend time with your family. You know, you still stay hydrated, take care of your body and make sure that you try to get in touch with all these people that you might not talk to on a daily basis and take care of yourself and uh, other people in your life. That's, that's, that's amazing. And I think that's a really healthy thing to, to, to talk about. So the last question is, I think, a, a, a good question. And as you've sort of shown foresight, what do you, we talked about Olympics, and I just kind of asked that question as sort of a, a off the cuff question, but what do you think whole, the, the future of esports holds? Man, so it's crazy because I talked about uh, Dota doing the crowdfunded campaign for their tournament so that the prize pools are bigger. Um, I think that'll become common in pretty much every sport. And people already make a great living off of things like this. Salaries are already to a great point where um, the entertainment aspect has made it where people could, you know, essentially pay for their, their livelihood off of this and even make well over six figures a year or even make seven figures a year from playing professionally and streaming and sponsorship deals and things like that. Um, I think that the biggest thing we'll see is that it will definitely become even more mainstream than it already has. Esports has made gaming cool. So people that were scared to talk about playing video games before are completely fine with it now. And you see that in streaming and professional gaming and things like that. Um, I think that, you know, there'll be TV channels that are completely dedicated to this and people will be a hundred percent ready for that talk all the time. And I think that tournaments are only going to get bigger. So we'll see people filling out every arena every time they play. There will be crazy um, – League of Legends, actually, in their last world tournament, they had, like, crazy hologram dragons flying in and stuff. And they filled out this whole arena in Korea or China. I don't remember where it was. It was, like, 100,000 people. My and they goodness. were all watching them just play live. And I think that the live aspect will – 
uh, really bring in that huge viewership because people come and they wear jerseys and they support their favorite team and players. They hold up signs and, you know, it's just like a football game. And I think that when that becomes more of a prevalent thing, um, it will turn the way that people look at uh, gaming, one, and two, it will become more franchised. So some games have started to franchise, and by that I mean uh, there's things like, you know, in basketball you've got the Houston Rockets, things like that. Um, It's becoming a thing in esports too where – there's uh, like Golden State actually has a League of Legends team in the franchise. Wow. And uh, I think Houston does as well. They have a, a franchise League of Legends team. But there's in the Overwatch League, there's cities. So like Dallas has a team and then Chicago has a team and things like that. And it'll be like they just travel to play each other on a weekly basis. And it'll be just like going to watch a football game when they're in season. And I think that that's kind of the biggest steps we'll see in the next few years is a lot more uh, like regular season games will be played instead of online. They'll be played in person and it'll be flying people out so that the tournament can be watched in person and it can be live streamed and everybody can really get to see what's going on regularly instead of a lot of the scene being behind the scenes. That's awesome. So just to to refresh, uh, you work for Orbit and the game that you play is Valorant. So And your gamer name is Jordan DM7. So yep. my question is, so people can follow you because I, I think it's worth uh, keeping up with people who are willing to give themselves to the public. How do people find you and your team? Okay, so for Twitter, I am at Jordan DM7 on Twitter, all one word. Um, and then my Twitch channel as well is twitch.tv forward slash Jordan DM7. Same thing. It's pretty easy branding on my part. Um, and our team's Twitter is actually at OrbitGG, and all of my teammates' Twitters can be found on there. And any of the keeping up that you want to do, usually um, our organization's Twitter will tweet out for us when we're playing in tournaments, and it's going to be live streamed somewhere where the general public can watch it. So it's really nice to you know have our own branding and have them keep the branding up for us. And it's pretty easy to find us. I think there's even – you just Google OrbitJordanM7, and you can find most of my stuff too. That's awesome. So uh, because I've named the podcast Voices of My Bros, Sisters, and People, uh, I'd like to focus on the voice of the contributor. So uh, I leave the final voice to the contributor to talk about anything they want to. So it can be something on their heart or it can be the topic that we've been focused on. But I will thank you for being a part of this episode to date. I wish you continued success and I will leave the final word to you. I just want to say one thank you to you for, you know, giving me a platform to speak. I really appreciate that. And talking about this, I love talking about it. It's a dream for me. Um, And to the public, everybody in America, please wear your masks, take care of yourself. Let's get rid of COVID so that we can start flying places and watching sports again and taking care of our country. And let us all work together to create something better in the future. So let's just get this going the right way.